The Reset Rebel Podcast with me, Joe Yule. And today we are, well, in probably one of the most spectacular spots up high uh, in Santa Agnes, overlooking the sea and lots of beautiful little islands in the distance. And I'm absolutely delighted today's guest has agreed to pop on. I kind of feel like she's probably one of the most qualified Reset Rebels um, on the island currently, having reset her path in life so many, many times. And I'm so glad to be joined by Sadie Frost. Hello. Hi, it's nice to be here, sitting with you in this beautiful place, very serene. How did you find this place? So, um, it's a bit of an odd story, really. Um, I don't really like um, kind of summer holidays in the sense when you go away with lots of people, that kind of thing. I've got more and more doing solitary holidays, like going to usually be around a retreat, so going to a place called Ashiana in India or... Um, at the moment, yeah, being up um, north in, in um, doing Kundalini and with Trish. But my boyfriend had planned like a boys' holiday and at the last minute said, you know, asked me to come. And I was like, oh, and there was another another girl here. So I was like, OK, I'll, I'll come and I'll see what it's like. And and I just suddenly realised what that actually my... I've changed so much that, that even though it's wonderful and beautiful and everyone's lovely, that I would prefer to... I'd rather be... You know, because I'm vegetarian, I've always been vegetarian, so I like to be around kind of like vegetarian food. I don't like big dinners that are kind of very late. And I'm not, a, a, you know, I've never really enjoyed socialising in that on that level. Mm. So I just kind of got here for a night and packed my bag and went up to a retreat. And I met lots of friends, like there's a, some really lovely ladies there and, and old friends and, and just did lots of kundalini because I think coming out of the pandemic, even though I did carry on doing yoga and practice my daily practice I wasn't connecting I didn't feel connected because you don't I think it's so important because everyone is doing a lot of yoga on zoom and stuff and online and yes you can do it but it's so important and the healing that's been done this week that I found you know with with being around Trisha's crystals and just the energy I mean you know for me that's what yoga is about you have to have that connection so um it's nice and simple and down to earth and it's it's about grounding and being earth you know feeling earthy and earthed and um so but I came back back to this lovely spot for a night and then I'm going back to the yoga retreat I can yeah I can sort of tell that you know once you leave Trisha's house it's kind of like the vortex you get it sucked back in I can see you've got her wonderful new book sitting there on the bed beside us yeah so um I, I, I've been so excited to read it and um, I, lo- I mean I love the design and the colours and then you just like the photographs and, and she's just you know talking you through different days as you know you can either do transformation or um, a gratitude day or a balanced day so you have a diary so it's a real journey and the good thing about going up to her retreat which I found was really interesting was well, we did a cacao ceremony and things like that and there's you know there's all different things that that's offered and, and it is it like it's it. it's you know everyone cooks together it's all about being communal and I think you know we're all kind of like with what's happening in the world and kind of all being slightly removed from each other and and even going to places where people are just on computers and wi-fi all the time and no connection and and I think I, I just really need to be connected and I think this book will reset me I mean I've been doing yoga for a long time and you know it I've been on such a journey in the sense that my mom 
was had me when she was 16 and she was a hippie and my dad was a psychedelic artist and we came to Ibiza when I was about three and we lived on a bus my parents drove on, on a uh, they converted an old school bus and I lived that lived on the bus you know through Europe here on the island and we went to Formentera and there's a famous photograph somewhere that my mum actually found where there was just a tiny little ferry going between Ibiza to Formentera with the school bus like driven onto it and it hanging half on hang half off and I've got like memories of being on the island you know then a long long time ago you know so I grew up in a bohemian environment you know environment um my stepfather was an activist and we were always vegetarians and my we were in a religious cult called the Bhagwan Rajneeshas um and it was kind of very very crazy um and my mum introduced me to yoga at 16 um but then I kind of went on my journey which was you know ego career you know children men and um you know my head was filled with so much um, bullshit that I kind of, you know, and I think you, you have to kind of, it is a, like opening Pandora's box and you have to kind of, you have to kind of suffer and you have to kind of wound yourself in a way to kind of make any kind of progression. And, you know, there were, I, I suffered really badly with postnatal depression and I always had a fear of depression because my father was very depressed and was sectioned and my ultimate fear in my life was for me to be sectioned or have any psychiatric problems because it so um, runs deep in my family. And that's, gen- you know, genetic. Um, and obviously experience and trauma can help with that um, and trigger it. So so I kind of, you know, went, even though my mum introduced me to yoga and all these lovely positive things, I kind of went off and, and just had to learn. You have to learn yourself that this doesn't work or that doesn't work or those people are toxic and this is toxic. And um, so, so I probably committed to doing yoga and meditation and stuff about after the postnatal depression and stuff about 15 years ago. And then it's fitting it in around, you know, bringing up children. And as life's gone on, I've just realised that, like, the really simple things make me happy. And, you know, I don't need, I don't really, look, I'm in a beautiful place. I'm very grateful for being here, but I just don't want much, you know, like, that. I love being in India because I love the simplicity of life there having a you know small room with a few belongings and just keeping it like that and I guess your social circle gets smaller because I I I really know who my friends are and and the people I trust and the people I love you know I kind of kept going back to certain things thinking maybe that will change that situation will change that person will change but often the person you know that maybe kind of um, hurt you or did something in, in the beginning will keep doing that so you know, you it's, it's, you know you can sometimes be a slow learner, but I, I feel in a, a really good place. And I think the thing is that I just accept me for me, and I know that I don't what I do and I don't like now. And I've got you know these four beautiful kids that are all you know I feel like I can really help them and guide them because I've experienced so much. Whereas if I was completely oblivious and naive to everything, and and especially their friends as well, like anyone who is struggling or mental health or addiction things you know I've kind of I've, I've experienced a lot of it um and and still experiencing it you know and still trying to find my way so what you know obviously the nature of this podcast is called the reset rebel a lot of people with anxiety and depression listen to it and mm. it's kind of like connecting to people that have been through it and mm. you say your worst fear was being sectioned mm. and that did actually happen like for 28 days how did you feel after that um it was just scary i mean you know to i had this fear from 15 of being locked up and and that and that whole thing of just i don't know like some had some kind of 
I don't know, some, yeah, some nightmare and this, this, and I guess you can, what your fear, you can create that to happen. But when, when I had postnatal depression, um, it, on the, on, with my last baby, it was so bad that I couldn't like, you know, really know how to get dressed or pack a case or how, how to look after four children. Um, my mind and my body was so, um, you know, it, 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 I just kind of fell apart and my best friend, and I was trying to do too much. And I think the thing was in those, de- t- at that point, it was such a stigma to postnatal depression. People didn't mention it. People didn't talk about it. People would just say to me, um, you know, pull, pull yourself together. What's wrong with you? You've got beautiful children. You've got a lovely house. You've got a lovely husband. But the thing was like inside, I was just so scared and fearful. Like I couldn't walk into a room without feeling anxious or panic attacks. And I would, like, I couldn't eat or sleep. And I'd say to my best friend, call an ambulance, call an ambulance. She'd have to call an ambulance. And... With the postnatal depression, when I got sectioned, it was because I—I just—I um, mean, off the scary thing about it is, it, 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 there is a stigma, and when people see people at the most vulnerable, other people can take advantage and to get their benefit themselves. So, you know, it's like in the Victorian times when men used to get women locked up because they—they they were a woman was expressing themselves, or they—you know—they they just did it all the time. But women in insane asylums and 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 I, you know being sectioned is 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 a crazy thing because people can see that you're vulnerable and you're in pain and they can do that for their own benefit and and I don't want to get into that situation but it was for someone else's benefit to um get what they wanted um so you know as soon as I kind of you know I I, I was there I was like oh my god I've, I finally faced my fear um this is awful and people were just, you know, a bit drugged up to you know people just walking around circles past the kind of nurses station and I was like, I just need to get out of here because you can just see how people just get stuck there. I mean, even talking about it now, I'm getting like, you know, the the trauma and the pain of that. Um, and then, you know, the panic attack and anxiety and was so bad. And, um, you know, um, so I saw do, so many different specialists. And, 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 yeah, and in the end, it was, I got sober for four years. I did the, the 12-step program. Um, just be, not because I was like a heavy, heavy drinker, but when my anxiety was bad, like alcohol would be like in a social situation would really calm me down, um, but then the next day it would be worse. Mm-hmm. So, so and I realised you know I was never really good on alcohol. I, 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 you know, I could get everyone else could drink all day and all night, and and I would have two drinks and and I would feel a lot worse already. It would just affect me differently. So, so I think by being sober and really kind of going through um, the kind of the, the you know different you know doing the twelve steps and. And talking about my problems and people accepting me and and, pe- and realizing that you know there was lots of people the same as me and that I you know that I always felt like I wasn't good enough and all that kind of stuff. So the more work I did um, on that, and now I'm um, I, I go to um, um, Alanon, and Alanon has been really helpful for me because if you're a ch- uh, adult child of, a, of an alcoholic or an addict, there's there's a whole load of stuff that comes with that, you know not feeling good enough, trying to control things, drama. Um, and and then you start learning about your own behaviour and not trying to change other people and control other people and just say, you know, a bit like me coming to the, this place thinking, you know, some people want to ski down a mountain. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go hiking today in the heat, but I want to go and sit on a mat and do yoga or sit and eat some rice with somebody or go and pick some flowers, you know. But that doesn't mean I'm weird or wacky, but we're just all different. And I think I try to fit into... A, a certain thing and a social thing that I actually was never really wasn't really right for me and I like being creative and maternal and 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 I have to feel safe 
So for me, I think, you know, there are lots of tools, you know, to keep me on the right track. And that is, you know, meditating most days. I do, you know, the serenity prayer would be something that really helps me if I'm not sleeping or it connects my my head to my body. It's that feeling of like, you know, when, when I talk about higher power, it's when I'm not feeling connected and grounded in it. And when I feel like my higher power isn't with me, when I feel like I'm slightly insane and I know I'm not insane I'm just sensitive and I'm just anxious and I get upset if some people like you know if if I see a wounded bird somebody might just walk past or not but for me that is like you know the pain I feel on those kind of things you know I've never ate meat or fish I just from a child it was something that I just didn't want anyone to suffer but by having that kind of sensitivity you're kind of suffering yourself because you're always you know picking up on everything so, you know, I just have to really protect myself and be around, um, you know, people that feel uh, who are like minded and kind and, and, and doing things to help other people as well. That's what I wanted to also talk to you about, because, I, you know, I love the fact that you've kind of once again reset and you've now taken on this kind of directional um, path in your life. And, you know, you're making this film um, set in Mumbai, which I really want to hear about. But first of all, this film Contact sounds absolutely mm. amazing about... Um, mental health problems in lockdown and I think that that's something we're going to see is going to be the next pandemic of people really not well absolutely well um so I have four children and my partner's got two and we also had so before lockdown actually happened before Boris did the this the speech um but I've got a collapsed lung so when it started I was in America and I flew back and I was already we'd already booked to be to go to the countryside because if I have a bad winter and I get a chest infection, I couldn't be hospitalised anyway. So I was just, as soon as everyone started talking about it, it was on the news. So we'd booked this place, so we went, and then there happened to be me, and, and there was about 10, 15 kids. Like, we had, you know, my my kids and my partner's kids and my my kids' partner. So I saw the effect on of the pandemic on them and their friends. I was very close to what was going on. I had a friend of mine's child commit suicide because they were in isolation and they couldn't deal with their mental health and they weren't allowed to be with their mum. And I was so happy that I had my children with me to help them, but but I was seeing another friend of mine um, um, drank herself to death um, in this time in isolation. And then I looked after a boy for the last five years who was homeless, who lived outside Chalk Farm Tube. When, when the pandemic started, I tried to kind of get... I, I've been trying to get him into rehab and get him help with Centrepoint and stuff. He ended up getting hit by a motorbike and died. So, I mean, I was just seeing, like, grief around, you know, like, pain and grief. And I was like, you know, yes, it's pandemics here, but there's all these kids that are, like, young people. I mean, not young and but old as well, but, like, everybody just, like, really um, struggling. And I just saw the few people's futures taken away from them you know, all these happy young people who had everything, they've worked really hard, you know, across the board, you know, from, you know, every class, every, you know, you know, wherever, all over, I've got a foster son in South Africa, him, you know, in his studies, and, you know, it was just every day I was dealing with, you know, trying to help and channel positivity to people. And so, so me and a lot of the kids I was with, we started, like, talking about ideas, so we made some short films, so we made Contact, which we premiered, on um, Love Magazine's site, and it was about, you know, kind of, um, it's a quote on the top of Primrose Hill that William Blake wrote, but about five kids in isolation and, and a bit of kind of like um, 
you know, Alice in Wonderland going through the, the hole and coming out the other side, or, you know, that kind of crossing over from reality to um, just some kind of fantastical world. But so we made that in lockdown and we did, you know, we worked together remotely with editors and, and composers, but everybody did something creative and I think that helped. And then now I'm working with a with a couple of mental health um, young people's mind, one talking to mine at the moment, a couple of others, and, and Centrepoint, and we're going to do some screening, screenings at the Everyman um, Cinema in September and do some forums and little um, little chats with kids, you know, I call them kids, but they're like, you know, Raph's 23 now, but a lot of him and his friends and, and I invite other people along, just get it, get people talking about it. We made a couple of other short films and stuff and I was um, keeping busy by editing a documentary that I started filming before lockdown which was called, it's about Mary Quant. So that kind of kept me busy. And then, you know, so, but then I can work with the kids on that as well. Like, so we kind of just became quite creative. I was going to say, I mean, most people were in lockdown sort of like baking banana bread and, um, you know, drinking bottles of wine. But it sounds like not only were you teaching them yoga in the morning and meditation and keeping everybody on track, but you were, you know, being able to share your skill set and not mm. just as a mother, but also what you do creatively, which I think for a family like the one you have created is a, just an incredible credit to you. But you were, you know, one of these people that used that time in such an amazingly productive way. Mm. I think, yeah, I just didn't want us all just sit, sitting around. I mean, Iris's boyfriend, Jarrell, is an editor, so he edited together, because I'm shooting this film in India, in Mumbai, um, about the Hijra community, and um, he edited, so we just before um, lockdown, I'd been in, in um, Goa, but I'd been in Mumbai casting, so meeting a lot of the, the trans women in Mumbai, um, trying to find our lead character for our film. And Jarrell um, edited, he's a brilliant editor, edited the, the, the casting tape and for, for us to use for the sales agents and the finance and stuff. So, so we, yeah, we, I kind of gave everyone a project. I started a book club and for Rudy, who, who's, you know, the younger one, um, and got everyone, yeah, so it was good. And I kept really busy. I mean, I was literally exhausted by the end of it. And, and you know, it, but I feel kind of very alive and creative. And I know a lot of people have suffered and, and people close to me have suffered and people close to me have died but I just uh, for me there was a, a, a at first a sense of catastrophizing and I was like oh my god I'm I'm gonna die I've got only got one lung that works properly you know and I was just like I've just got to live each day for the most and and I just couldn't bear to see my children and 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 their friends like down so I was just we all just helped each other which I think that's what we have to do um, there is no other way basically but it's so amazing that you happen to be with your entire family in the countryside that's kind of a miracle know, in itself but you also edited um Raph's first music video which I'm dying to actually see I haven't caught oh. it yet but I'm, I'm looking forward to that yeah no I directed that so basically I mean I just feel like you know I was around lots of musicians in the 80s and 90s and, and, and a lot of very talented people but they were in such a, the times to make music then was so much easier and it's so difficult now for any, any bands they work so hard and it's hard for them to one make a living because of because of like uh, Spotify and all that stuff they don't really get money do they and now they can't even play gigs so Rafford recorded the song which I think I loved and I did a a photo shoot for Wonderland magazine. They asked me to shoot Raph for the cover and do a um, a fashion story type thing, or not a lockdown story. And I'd never really t- 
taken photos since college. So I did this big shoot with him and we used the song. They, they love the song Bad Times. So Wonderland premiered the video and I just, you know, I've got the amenities. I, I just was like, well, I, I just had a kind of vision of what I wanted the video to be like. Everyone seemed to like it. Just kept it really simple, really old school, like an old kind of um, UB40 video. And just got the boys, I, I just said, look, you know, people just want to know about you. It's about your personality. Let's do something tongue-in-cheek and fun. And we just shot it in a few hours. Um, very little money. Same kind of thing. Gave, you know, we've got... Um, a young guy who who um, he 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 so so I started working with young DOPs and young you know you know people who'd never done you know who haven't had the opportunities before so we, so I'm giving kind of people some some experience um, so we shot that and that was good and then I got asked it turned out good and then I got asked to do two short films after that for um, this brand called Rockins they've just decided designing doing makeup that's coming out. So I shot two films for them that are just coming out now. And then and then after that was this, um, I got cast in this new film. So the the first feature to be shot since lockdown in, in England is a film called Alone, which I just got cast in as an actor, which was interesting. And there was Derek Jacobi's in it, Camilla Rutherford and Francis Barber. And I actually play a director. So I kind of played my, it's, it's kind of verity, it's all shot in cinema verity in black and white. And I play uh, a director so it was like yeah play myself so that was quite easy to do um so it's been really lovely creative time um uh, how do you feel getting back you know in front of the camera though if you kind of your maybe your intention prior to lockdown was maybe to be more behind it how yeah. did that feel to get back out there as you get older I mean I mean I try to kind of feel good inside but I, I look at photographs and I don't like them to be honest you know I'm like oh I you know why well, god it's I do look tired or I do look puffy or I do like, you know, and it, you have to work hard at feeling good about yourself because, you know, if we put on a bit of weight or, da, da, you know, and, and I am very um, busy, active, so I'm not big, huge sleeper. Um, so getting in front of the camera, I'm always a bit nervous about. Like I did a film last year that's coming out this year called Nocturnal. And when I saw the, when I went to do the ADR, the sound, I was like, oh my god like literally because I've grown up in front of the camera so I did a film at 11 and then this young woman and then I was playing the, the femme fatale and now I'm playing like literally the <laughs> the, the the kind of one one part I got sent was the like like literally the village witch you know the old the old um, bat of the village you know now then I'm playing the the stressed out mum and then but with this film because it was shot in black and white I was a bit more comfortable about being in front of the camera and I think what's happened is it's not like I'm been given like challenging roles, but it's nice to keep my you know to to still do a bit because it's exciting to be able to just turn up and just do the acting. When you're ma- when you're making a film as a producer or a director, you're um, it's three to five years of your life, you know, and you're responsible if you're the producer for the finance. So it's just an, it's such an intense thing. Which when you're direct, when you're acting, you think it's really hard, but you really just have to learn the lines and get into the character. So the more um, other stuff I'm doing with because I'm producing and directing at the moment. When I did the part, I really just kind of turned up and just said it, and the less 
thought that goes into it. And I think maybe the, the, the simpler you keep it, I mean, unless you're playing Hamlet or something, you can just be really natural and that's what it's about. And I was, so I did enjoy doing doing that. And then I don't really know, like for the rest of the year now, I, I, I have to finish my Mary Quant doc in the next few weeks. And then I do want to take a bit of time off because this hasn't really so far been a holiday because I've been, apart from doing the yoga with Trish, I've been doing lots of this other editing and stuff. And then um, I want to write a project. You know, that's my next venture to do some writing. So It doesn't sound very restful, I've got to say. You know, it's a bit ADHD type thing where you're just kind of just constantly doing. It's not like I just have to... I am good at sitting there and just meditating and doing nothing, but I like to do, I like, you know, I, I mean, I see everyone sitting around the pool looking at their phones and mm. looking into space. I, I don't get, I don't get that, you know. I, I have to be challenging my energy into something. Do you think, do you think creative people suffer more with their mental health? Yeah, I think so. I definitely think so because I think the thing is it's like a kind of, you have a, a very, very repetitive thinking. So if I have an idea, it's not just like, oh, an idea. It's like the idea is like so consuming that your, you know, your brain is so intense and it, it, it kind of consumes you. It, it's, it's very overpowering. So you have to kind of express yourself. So it comes from complicated places. You know, you have to you know it's living inside you like a little kind of alien in a way you kind of got got to express yourself otherwise it's not like kind of go oh I had an idea I'm just not going to do it It, it, it's got a whole life of its own Um, you know when when things were like crazier in my head quite a few years ago you know I couldn't stop writing poetry I mean if I read that back now I would be like you know I was being creative but it was it was dark dark stuff Um, you know now I've kind of learned to channel the stuff channel like my men, what's ever going on in my head into a more positive place because I don't think though I mean of course that was cathartic it was good to write about it but you know it's quite I mean not self-indulgent but I wouldn't really want to put it out there now so you it, it's great to be able to kind of have things within you but not actually be constantly doing creative things that are about you so you take it out of you so you might write a character about it's about somebody else but then maybe the second or the third character has a bit of you in it Mm -hmm. if you're writing um and I guess everyone draws from different experiences so like you know the fact I grew up in a psychedelic crazy you know the dad that was quite kind of artistic and crazy that's affected you know my vision my dad had his art studio you know in the end I mean he he used to paint the whole time he was in a complete insomniac so he would go and break into people's houses, paint everything. If it was decided, he would paint, paint everything red. So he'd paint, he'd break in, paint everything red, the floor red, the ceiling red, the, the fridge red, the cooker red, and then the inside of the fridge red, and then people would come into the house. and Or he'd take me out, and he was one of the first people to paint Primrose Hill Bridge. He was always being arrested for painting everything. And his art studio, like he had this studio, he had a house in Manchester, and he would just stay there, you know, in this room and paint, never go to bed paint for days and days and days like huge huge canvases and and like what some of the stuff on the canvases is like you know is like dark you know so that so I think but they're they're an effect of what he's experiencing visually while he's on psychedelics well no no because he wasn't then I think it's what he's feeling inside you know if you're feeling really haunted or, or pain in a lot of pain you you know you've got to express that in your in your art so it's just it's just different 
different types of creativity as well. Um, but it, it, but it's that kind of manicness. If you're creative, you can be quite manic because you just want to. That's what you do. You, you know, you're, I'm an a, a, a work like a workaholic addict in, in my work. You know, because I always say, "Oh, I'm going to," you know, "I'm going to not semi-retire or, or do less." And everyone goes, "Yeah, yeah." You know, as soon as you finish one project, you start another, and you've got like ten on the go. Um, but but I just I get excited by it might be stressful but it but it's quite it's exciting now something else we are personally very excited about here on the reset rebel aside from this amazing interview with sadie frost is our new patreon account um after making this show for 80 episodes over two years we kind of really feel that we want to expand the work that we do to give back to those suffering like sadie from anxiety and depression on this podcast and we can only do it with your help last week we interviewed Ang Harrod, our sex and relationships coach, and through her free offering of a coaching session, she's now helping someone who really needed a starting point to heal some very serious sexual assault. And the work we are doing, giving back free retreat spaces on the island and offering treatment to people who really need it but maybe can't afford it, brings us so much joy. And it really needs you to get on board and help us through this membership program. To join and contribute, there are three tiers with lots of extra exclusive Ibiza content that you can enjoy depending on the tier that you choose but at the very least for as little as five euros a month you can help us just keep making this show and we would be so very very grateful to sign up pop over to patreon.com slash Ibiza the reset rebel that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Ibiza the reset rebel now on with the show with the lovely sadie frost thank you so much for listening tell me a little bit more about this film in india because you're saying you you were hanging out with the trans um crew and it kind of feels like that's quite a current topic Mm. as well because of the whole situation with yeah a lot of kind of minority communities sort of struggling at the moment and being finally Mm. sort of seen and heard Mm. how did you kind of get into that well basically i work with um a producer called kerbin kasam who works with sally potter and um I was, you know, want to spend more of my life living in India, so I actively looked for a book that I that my company could buy. So we book, bought this book called The Parcel, which is a, written by a great author called Anusha Rani. We bought it a few years ago, and Anush um, wrote the script. So basically, yeah, of course, this is is quite topical. But we kind of like when when we started to kind of um, develop it it wasn't so on everyone's radar and, and and things are very different now like you know we have to be very careful with everything because of casting and so we had open castings with with the trans community and you know I need to find you know um somebody who's can play Madhu who's the lead character um and there's a lot of specifics for that and you have to be also you know it's a two-month shoot and the hours are long and we need you know you, it sometimes you it's easy to cast if you're in England or America or, or South America because there's a lot of um, people who are in the trans communities that, that have, have acted. But in India, it's a little harder because they haven't been given the opportunity. So we're trying to... We're doing workshops and all of that kind of stuff. So we, so it's a long process to find these characters. Um, and, and there's going to be... We need to cast, like, 40 people, 40 women... Um, because it's about a community. Um, this morning we were doing Zooms about it. We really want to get it going. I'd love to, as soon as we can shoot in India, get back there. And then there's a couple of other projects in India that I want to do after. But 
this is our first one um, and it's just such a beautiful story um, and yeah written by Anusha Riley and the book's called The Parcel so if anybody wants to get a good read get that book I feel like I almost ran into you at the beginning of lockdown because we were sort of neighbours in a little village in Goa called Mandram. You were at Ashiana and I was at a little house on the beach and then the world kind of got turned upside down. But what is it about India? Because I know that you've been to Ashiana not just the once, you've been there several times mm. over the years. But what is it about that place if you say you want to spend more time there that you really love when you're there? So I think, like, you know, as you get older as well, like I've lived in Camden all my life and there's a lot of baggage that, you know, comes with living and you accumulate all this stuff. And I go somewhere like India, I feel like I'm at home. I feel comfortable, I feel safe. I feel like my life's simple, I just have a small little bag. You know, I, I just want to be around people that um, that just look at life. I mean, it's great to meet all different types of people, but when I'm there, I just feel like, I get everybody and they get me and we're all on the same journey and everyone wants to that you know they want similar things that I do and so with the yoga and then the vegetarian food and just the simplicity the people who I've met there are amazing Ashiana is just a beautiful place and and um is it Mandela that place and you know and it's I just want like you know I want to be able to just write in a notebook and do a little bit of work and and have some rice and um do a bit of yoga it's, it's that simplicity but you know some because it because things are hectic and i've got four children who now are nearly all grown up and i've been parenting for 30 years so i've got another year and then i could go off and live in another country for a year or two and i think you know i'd like to be in india and i know people there now i've got to know like the locals and there's just something really just spiritual about it and, and I'd like to get to know other parts. I mean, I have travelled up to the Himalayas and stuff, but there's something about that little area. This little village and it's just like, I just get so much out of walking along the road and getting my couple of my bananas and a few nuts and going sitting and, you know, it's just, you're just not being bothered, you know. I just feel like sometimes I just feel harassed. And I don't know if my, I, I maybe I harass myself less when I'm there. You know, maybe that's what it is. There's something I I can let go. I, I can, you know, a bit like Ibiza, the, the Wi-Fi is rubbish. You know, you just got to get off the phone as much as you can and work. So I can, so I, yeah, maybe that's what it is. I stop harassing myself because I'm constantly harassing myself to, to do this, this and this, you know. When you basically get out of your own way. Yeah, exactly. So so I do it there and, and, I, and, I've, and I've never found anywhere else that does, that I can do that as much as India. I mean, because people are saying, the guy who runs um, Ashiana, who, um, he's set up an Ashiana in Brazil, and he wants me to go there, and it's a similar kind of eco, and I will try it, but I don't know if I'll get the same feeling in Brazil as I will in India. Mm. It just feels like I maybe was Indian in a past life or something. My, my best friend Zoe, who um, is, has very similar beliefs as me, always says that we were Indian in a past life, and we've kind of met in this life and, and that's when I go there I just feel like I'm at home I just think you know when I leave Ibiza and I go to India and I get there and it's like you know it's a very frenetic energy in Ibiza mm. somehow and it's a lot calmer this year of course but for obvious reasons mm. but I feel like when I get there there's just a real sense of serenity that I just don't find anywhere else absolutely there's definitely um, a huge sense of serenity but not everyone feels that because so many of my friends just can't go and go oh, they hated it they didn't get it or people go to places and go 
it's just so dirty or oh god there's beggars on the streets and I'm like you just don't get the culture and you, you're looking and, and, and there is a manicness to India but I don't feel it's not the same kind of manicness as, as you get in say Ibiza or London in, in, in that social manicness and there and there there's a lot of kindness there and you know, and, every, and there's a lot of people that are doing really good things, so I pick up on that energy. Whereas in, you know, we're, and I know I've been talking about work, 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 and busy, 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 but, you know, I'm trying to be creative, but there is a whole kind of thing as well, like in London where it's all about, you know, we're all, we're all really striving to do so much, and what, I mean, what is it for in the, at the end of the day? Because... You know, this is what I think the pandemic shown people is that, you know, we, we do need to simplify our lives and, and do what we really think's important to ourselves because, um, you know, anything can happen at any time. And, you know, if you want to just keep, you know, just sit and meditate, then just do that. Or I don't know, I, I'm, get, I'm, I'm exhausting myself now because I've been talking so much. <laughs> just like, oh, what am I talking about? But. But I don't know. I'm just thinking that I like. I I think it's just there's something just so peaceful in in in, um, in India that that I just I don't get that anywhere. So it's like just chill, just peace. I kind of feel like having lived here for eight years and kind of when I go to India, as you say, you kind of go back to basics and you understand that like the simplicity of that place is what makes it so beautiful. And it kind of the juxtaposition of being in Ibiza with the super yachts and the fancy pants lifestyle. Not that I lived that one here, but you know, I'm around it a lot. And I go there and it's just like, it just puts everything into perspective. So at which point do you think that you really realised that like a simple life was a happy life? I think, well, so I definitely had it in the beginning because I came from that. And then I kind of lost it and I've had moments of it and then I completely lost it. But then I guess 15 years ago, in the last 10, definitely, you know, I'm, I, I, I've experienced both and so prefer just not the super yachts, not the, the money, the materialism, the, the fancy clothes, all of that stuff. I just like... You know, I, I just really want to be a, like a kind of a hippie. I really want to just get to that place where I can have my my dogs and my chickens and and not have to show up for anything. You know, but, but I would definitely always be like in the community where I was helping other people because, you know, like I first started. I think it was two thousand two thousand four, two thousand five, around then. I was working in an orphanage in South Africa, in Durban, called GGA which is God's Golden Acre, and um, I um, fostered a boy called Lucky. And so me and Lucky have been kind of, um, he comes to visit me, I go to visit him a couple of times a year, put him through school, and now he's um, doing his, so he did a degree in filmmaking, and he did a degree in, now he's doing um, teaching. Um, he's got one more year to go, and now I'm just saying Lucky, you know, yeah. So, so we've written a, a script about his life called Innocent, which is going to be a film that we make too. I mean, co-wrote it with him and um, Cape, uh, uh, South African director called Craig Fremond. And um, you know, so for me, like, if I decide when I decide to do nothing, I mean, not nothing. I won't be working as such, but I will be doing something. You know, if it's in India, it'll be you know working in the community. There was a lovely lady, girl there who stayed there during the pandemic and she um I always see her when I go go back to Ashiana and and she spent the whole time just, um helping 
feed people there because they just they just run out of rice and everything so you know I want to be helpful to other people and once my kids are are kind of all all out and I've got you know and have all left home I, I can do that if you're enjoying today's show with Sadie and some of her words resonate please do drop us a review rate and subscribe the show or even share it on social media like Instagram it really would mean so much to us and takes only a few minutes of your time it can even be done while you're listening now back to today's Reset Rebel Sadie Frost that is also part of the 12 steps I guess when you get to a certain point you've done the program and then you're there to kind of help other people I mean apart from that what other outreach work are you doing obviously you've made the film about the you know mental health story for youngsters but you've obviously done stuff with Centrepoint as well so yeah I've I've been working with Centrepoint for quite a long time um uh, I, I work with Choose. I've gone to the refugee, camp, refugee camps with uh, Help Refugees, Choose Love. Josie Norton um, uh, is one of my who set up Choose Love, um, Help Refugees. Uh, that got created when she was like my housemate and she was watching the news. And what she has done is just unbelievable. And I've gone with her to the refugee camps and helped and gone to a lot of outreach things with her. So apart from going to South Africa and doing the stuff there and the. Um, Help Refugees and Centrepoint. Also work with Teenage Cancer Trust. Um, yeah, but but a lot of I like to do a lot of stuff as well, like more kind of face to face. You know, kind of helping people. Like of of course, a lot of these charities need money to survive and operate. But I like to kind of there's um, get involved with charities that where you can really um, engage in the community and with people. And you kind of lived with an African family, I saw, as well. So you've got this African sort of link as well. well. Yeah, no, I mean, basically, um, my dad was um, best friends with... with His best friend was a guy called Peter Blackman, and and, uh, so we lived, me and my mum and dad, and we lived with them for a bit, and uh, and their two sons, Rory and Peter. And um, so we we lived with them on and off. um, And I was just thinking... My uh, no Rory um, passed away recently, so he was on my mind. Basically, well, I had the collapsed lung as a kid, and he had cystic fibrosis, so we spent a lot of time together having physiotherapy. And um, that post was kind of like an acknowledgement to him and thinking about him and you know different stages of our lives. But the, but it was just so like right from the beginning something that was important important culturally because my dad was also a play leader and a community worker so he used to run like a kind of like Sunday Saturday school at the um the roundhouse so in the roundhouse in the 60s he took it over he put like a couple of gigs on there Jimi Hendrix he put on there and then we used to have these kind of West Indian African kind of Caribbean like style we'd all do limbo dancing and they make food and it was all community based and there was a place in Belsos Park called the Braxis Club, and they used to do the same thing there. And Peter Blackman had a band called Steel and Skin, and we all used to kind of go along and listen. And it was just something that was just really interesting to learn about, early, you know, so early on in my life. And then, and then going going to Durban and and being close to GGA and Lucky, you know, and for me it's very important to visit Lucky and. Um, go to his like parents evening and you know that's important for me to turn up and talk to those teachers that's just such a beautiful story and what a great name lucky i probably feels like the luckiest man over there having you as a foster mum. well he he had a very tough time in his life story which is why we've written it for this film um is unbelievable but so many other kids like lucky have uh you know similar stories 
And the interesting thing about like now and with WhatsApp, you know, I literally, I speak to him more than I speak to my own kids because he, you know, he lives, you know, he's, he's living on his own in Durban right now and, and he's, um, you know, they have a thing there called, you know, they have shading all the time. I'm like, I haven't heard from you for like, and they do black, have to blackouts the whole time when I went to see him. I saw him as well this year. I took, went to do the, some script work with him and then we went on, I, me and him went on a road trip and we had such a great time. Uh, I'll show you some pictures after this. And um, he, um, and then it's like, so you, they'd be like, okay, they're going to start shading now. Like, I don't know. So they just do blackouts because the country can't um, provide electricity. So there's, so so they can have like, you can have days without having any electricity. Wow. And life is so hard for, for for people, you know, well, a lot of the people I met in South Africa, but all over the world, but, you know, being so closely connected I just to him, it's important for me to make sure he's okay every day. Mm. Well, it's just that feeling again of isolation when you haven't got your connections to the outside world and the contact. It's, yeah. it's the same story, I guess, um, for well, him. Also, like in South Africa, I mean, because I was saying today that I'd visited the beach and they're still not allowed to go out really properly in, on the beach. And they, it's that thing in India and South Africa that you've seen on the news, but he told me through the, you know, the police beat, you know, beat you with sticks and things like that so you know he's he's absolutely terrified of uh of everything you know he's really such a lovely sensitive boy and and he's just very um sensitive to yeah just his mum you know he has got a mum even though he's at the orphanage but she lives in the in the in the township and he doesn't hasn't really seen her so he's been very isolated the whole time Sorry, they're beating people with sticks because they're in lockdown. Yeah, like so if you go out and there's, you know, there's just, yeah, he just, he, I just get that. I'll get some kind of story where he's like in the supermarket and someone's done such and such a thing, or it's just a lot more brutal there. A bit like India, because that's yeah, what was going on when I was what, there. What's happening in India? Yeah, similar thing. Were you there for lockdown at all? So, so I'd, I'd, I'd had, I'd been in India before, and then I had to fly to LA to do some work there, and then got back to LA. And then it was just when it was all beginning. Like, already people were being ill, but, no, you know, no one was admitting what it was. So um, that would have been February. Then by the time... So what was it, like, the first week of March? So yeah, the official, that... Yeah, so I probably went to the countryside, yeah, just, like, first week of March. So it was just that such a... I was travelling so much. That was the mad thing, because so many people were travelling, and a lot of people that were travelling, got you know, did get quite ill. Now you know, I do, no one really believed the severity of of, of COVID and what was was it propaganda or, or what was it? But um, the funny, yeah, my mum had it quite bad, and a couple of my friends and a lot of people I know have had it who, who didn't know they had it. You know, so it's such an odd virus. Well, I'm just very glad that you didn't catch it because with a collapsed lung, that might not have ended well, and you're uh, you're still here. Yes, I'm still here, and. Um, Feeling good, can't wait to get back to the the yoga um, to Kundalini tonight, and then and then and to spend a few days with my family and and and, and enjoy the island. Trying trying to switch off from work and read this beautiful book. The fact it's got the diary bit because you've got your morning check in and you got all that as well, isn't it? So it's a forty day program. Trisha's special development with her Soul Adventures book is absolutely stunning, and um, yeah, it's a really nice way. To finish, because I know you're shooting off back there later and I know you want to get back to your family. So thank you so much for sparing us the time. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you. Bye.